Psalm 23, it's a psalm of David, reading through it. I'm sure everybody here is well aware of it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I I pointed this out before. We looked at it in depth when we went verse by verse through the Psalms. I don't know how much longer we're going to go through the Psalms. I was just picking out some select ones. But one of the things that we saw, if you would take the first verse of a Psalm and take the last verse and join them together, you would get the gist of what that Psalm is about. So doing that here in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so really what he's doing here is filling in the details of life in the midst of it and how God ministers to us in the midst of our lives. So a couple of weeks ago, we started a psalm series that I call Psalms of the Cross. So far, we've looked at Psalm 22. We spent two weeks there as an Easter primer. What we'll see is is how Psalms 22, 23, and 24 have a harmony amongst them. Each of these three are tied together progressively in relationship to the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. In Psalm 22, we saw our dying Lord upon the cross. If you recall, it was during that time when darkness came upon all of the world as Christ was hung upon the cross and the sins of the world were placed upon him. And we looked at it from the perspective. It was almost as if we were being shut out of that time, but it's through God's word that is spoken of what had happened in that relationship between father and son. And we looked at the details of that. Tonight... In Psalm 23, we're going to see our risen Lord, a picture of our resurrected shepherd, he who has died but now lives. It's that concept that I believe I read this verse last Thursday, last Friday, and last Sunday for both services, so I might as well read it once more. But in Job 19.25, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. It's important, it's essential that we know that our Redeemer lives. Because again, if he does not live, then he could do nothing for himself in the midst of death, and he will not be able to do anything for us in the midst of our deaths. But because our Redeemer lives, we know and have an assurance that we, in turn, will live as well. Next week in Psalm 24, we'll look at our ascended Lord who sits in glory. So just as it was important to know what was going on at the cross that day, the peace of knowing that our sins have been dealt with, that contentment and release of guilt that we have, it's also important to know that our Lord is in heaven, he's alive, and he is ruling. And again, it's part of the reason that we call him Lord, because he is seated upon the throne. It's because he is ruling, he's governing the affairs, not just of the world, but we have to understand if we truly believe that all things work together for the good of those who love God, then he's there and he is working in our individual daily lives. And the situations and circumstances that we deal with are all under the hands of God. And we see the hard things that go on in Sri Lanka last uh, 
last Sunday, I guess it was Saturday night for us, but last Sunday and those difficult things, and I just can't tell you why God allows those things to happen other than just because of the sinful nature of mankind, but there is a reality to the knowledge that God has these things under control and the affairs of men are governed by a holy God. His point he was trying to get across to his disciples as they learned of the resurrection, although did not, comp- I'm sorry, the crucifixion, although they did not fully understand it. In John 14, verses 1 through 3, he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so we have this glorious future, and it's the reality that the apostles came to when they were filled with the Spirit, so that they're willing to give of their lives, give their all because of their Lord and the commissioning to which he had given to go forth and make disciples. They understood if their life was taken from him in heaven that their Redeemer does live. He's prepared a place for them and will bring them unto themselves. That emboldened them in the face of opposition, in the face of those who would do them harm, in the face of those who would try to quiet them. They were willing to endure, well, just even as Paul said, as shipwrecks. They were willing to endure whippings and scourgings, and even they were martyred for their faith. But they understood that because their Redeemer lives, they will live as well. And he gave them again that further confidence that he has prepared that eternal home for them. We have that same confidence, the same spirit that dwelt in them. The same spirit dwells in us. And the same confidence that the apostles were able to have, we're able to have as well. And their Redeemer as he lived, our Redeemer lives as well because it's the same Redeemer. It's the same Redeemer for all of humanity. We should be just as bold. And just as important that I would know that the risen Lord is able to interact in my daily life. He didn't just say, I'm going to leave and I'll see you later. It's God interacting in our lives in every situation, in every circumstance. He is with us and he is able to move in our daily lives. I mean, just think of it. If he's unable to or unwilling to, what would even be the purpose for prayer? But he's given us these prayers, and we've lifted up these people. Some of these people on these lists, don't take it for granted. Don't just look at it as the start of our Thursday night service. These are people who are going through. There's a young wife with young kids, and they lost their husband. Was that Freeze, their Cub Scout leader? I, I don't know how old the man was, but he looked to me like he was in his 30s. And again, his life-altering things. And, you know, Jim with his, his heart transplant and all that he's going through. Then his wife goes down with the kidney infection. And just the difficulty that is. We have an opportunity to intercede before the Lord for them that the Lord God of the universe would move in their lives. God has allowed us to have that privileged position. And so what is it all based upon? Well, again, it just David, the strongest statement that I think is probably in the Bible when it comes to a personal relationship is the first part of verse 1 in this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. And the idea is because the Lord is my shepherd, I will not want for anything. Because Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you shall not want. 
Why? Because of faith through him, you become a child of God. And because you're a child of God, God cares and takes care of his people. He watches over them and he protects them. And it goes just a little bit deeper than that. Once again, if you look in your Bibles in verse 1, when it says the Lord, the word Lord is all in uppercase letters. And originally in the Hebrew, that was the tetragrammatron Yahweh. And it brings us back to the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. And so what David is saying, the God who is, Yahweh means I am that I am, and the idea he is the God who is, the God who is is my shepherd. Well, that's important because there's many gods in David's time. There's many gods in our time. For the most part, man will say, I am in my shepherd. I am in my shepherd. I am my shepherd. But for him, and it needs to be for us, the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. He's the one who cares for me. He's the one who governs me. To the Jewish mind, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one who David looks to. The God of Joseph, who seemed to be cast multiple times into hopeless situations, that same God that watched over him and brought him to worldwide prominence is the same shepherd that David had. The God of Moses and Israel, the one who defeated Egypt, is his shepherd. He's our shepherd as well. He's the one who delivers his people with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. The idea was the power of God, but we can see that mighty hand and that outstretched arm is the power of God who has saved us as well. The God who saved us, the God who, in chapter 22, who dealt with your sins, that God is your shepherd. Now, we're going to go into a little bit more detail on what that means, but he's the one who's with you daily. He's the one who watches over you for all of your needs. He's the one who takes care of you. He's the one who has united you and brought you into the flock that you're in, the fellowship that we have, and just so much more. And so the one who is our shepherd possesses all the power, all the might, and all the glory of God for his purposes in us. This shepherd, the shepherd that we have, have you ever considered, I'm sure you've read about it, maybe even heard taught about it, but just dwell upon it or meditate upon who Jesus Christ is. Our shepherd is past eternal. He's lived forever in the past and will live forever in the future. He's all powerful. He was able to speak all that we see into existence. He is ever ex- um, existent and that what I mean is he's omnipresent. He is always amongst us. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He's all-knowing, and above all, he is holy. He's holy, holy, holy. The absolute purity and righteousness of God. And he possesses all of the unobtainable pureness of the Father. A few attributes of a shepherd when it comes to the relationship between a shepherd and a flock. First of all, in order for a shepherd to have a flock, he had to purchase the flock. He had to buy that flock, and our Lord, he purchased us with his precious blood. And again, it's why Psalm 22 lends perfectly into Psalm 23. But we got a great picture of that in so many places on the Bible. And we just, you know, this whole last week looking at the cross and the resurrection and all of that lends towards this. But there's going to be a future event with the shepherd and the sheep. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, the Apostle John <clears throat> He's in heaven, 
he, he, he's looking at this big heavenly gathering that's going on there. And it says in verse 1, And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne, this would be the Father, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much. And the idea is this lends towards the helplessness of sinful man to do anything for his situation and really all of humanity. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, and here's this huge turning point, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Where did Jesus prevail? Where did he get the authority? He got that at the cross. Verse 6, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, speaks of his power and his knowledge, which are the seven spirits of God sitting out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And if we would continue reading, we would see that great heavenly choir that sang that new song. They came to a fresh awareness of the grace of God and they couldn't contain it within themselves. And the whole idea with the Apostle John and the whole idea with us as we read that is that he purchased us. This shepherd purchased his flock for his own glory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 20, you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. <clears throat> Another dynamic of a shepherd, it requires humility. Shepherding was considered to be one of the lowest forms of work in society, the Jewish society. Even King David, the reason that he was a shepherd, because he was the youngest of all of his brothers, and it would always pass along to the youngest because, again, it was considered a low job to have. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, speaking of the Lord, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death upon the cross. And that idea is Jesus because of the need for mankind for a savior set apart those godly attributes that we had talked about a little bit earlier set him aside and he came in a way in a manner that we're able to comprehend and to understand god and who god is thirdly the work of a shepherd is constant it's 24 7 in hebrews 13 verses 5 through 6 let your conduct be without covetousness be content with such things as you have for he himself has said i will never leave you nor forsake you so we may boldly say the lord is my helper i will not fear what can man do for me as i said earlier he's always there and he always cares he's always watching over us he can never leave us nor forsake us because of the love that he has for us the good shepherd the good shepherd knows his sheep personally remember it's all about a personal relationship with jesus christ we see this exemplified in luke chapter 15 verses 4 through 7 excuse me sorry about that chapter 15 of luke verses 4 through 7 what man of you having a hundred sheep if he loses one of them so this is kind of a common 
sense, a, a common knowledge kind of a thing. He says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and goes after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. The idea is that God knows you. He met you in a personal way. He met you where you were at as far as the things that were going on in your lives, the things that you were involved in. I mean, maybe he met you at church. You were just kind of a lifer church person. And that's kind of how I was, going to church every single Sunday. But he met me in that, and I was kind of insulated by religion. But Jesus broke through that, and he met me in that personal way. Or maybe you were far out, immersed in sin, whatever it might have been. I mean, we were all immersed in sin apart from Christ. But maybe you were the most godless of people. But he meets us there because the good shepherd, the good shepherd has that desire for his sheep to come to, unto him. Fourthly, the good shepherd knows his sheep. I'm sorry, that was personally. Fifthly, the good shepherd uh, dedicates his life to the sheep sacrificially. We're told in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. A shepherd would need to do that. He would spend all of his time with his sheep. He would give of his life for the care of his sheep. So again, the title is part of the inspired word of God, and the title for Psalm 23 is simply a Psalm of David. A Psalm of David, this is that great shepherd who, as he was preparing for this national ministry that God was going to give, and it's really more than national, it was going to extend throughout all the ages, even tonight. It seemed as if, as he was shepherding, God just met him in a personal way, for the purpose of preparation. He was going to be the great shepherd of Israel, but first he had to learn his trade just with his sheep that God had given him. And so I can imagine, when you go to Israel, part of the tour that you go on is in Gedi. And Gedi is the place where David hid from Saul. And imagine he hid from Saul there is because he knew the area more than likely from his shepherding times. And, and you go there, and there's rivers that will flow or small streams that flow through there, and it's very much the wilderness that is there. And so I, I would imagine as he would look at his sheep and he would realize the care that he gives to the sheep, that he would contemplate the care that God gives to him as well. And just as surely he'd look at the sheep and the foolish things that sheep do, he would realize the foolish things that he has done as well. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. For the person whom Yahweh is his shepherd, he will have no lack of anything. His needs will be provided for. Jesus told us in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. So make it our priority to seek first God, our relationship, personal relationship with God and his righteousness to reflect that or to live a godly life 
for the purpose of obedience, but also for the purpose of ministry to others. And all of these things, and the question would be, what things? Well, if you look at the previous things, they were all of our needs, the things that we have need of, of food and drink and clothing and shelter. All of these things will be added to you. So God is saying, if you make me a priority, I will make you a priority. Sheep are completely dependent upon their shepherd for all of their needs. <clears throat> for food, for water, for shelter, the good shepherd provides these things for the health of the sheep and even so much more. I would imagine if the Apostle Paul was thinking of this as the Holy Spirit was inspiring him in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so as Yahweh is our shepherd, he provides everything that I need to maintain life and to be the witness that he has called me to be, to do the ministry that he has called me, that he has called us to do. So what we'll see for the rest of the psalm, what we're going to be looking at is six ways that the shepherd provides for the needs of his sheep. The first one that we'll be looking at is rest. Look at verse 2. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. If you ever get a chance, I don't know if we have it in the bookstore or not. Deborah's probably listening to this thinking, oh, I hope we have it. But Philip Keller's book, it's a shepherd's look at Psalm 23. Philip Keller was a minister, and he was also a shepherd. He had sheep on a ranch. I believe It was either in Canada or in the United States. <clears throat> and going through Psalm 23, he, he, he noticed a lot of the parallels between caring for sheep and what God's telling us here and telling us even about ourselves. And one of the things this man said, Philip Keller, in order for sheep to be made to lie down, four requirements must be met. Four requirements must be met for sheep to truly find rest. He said they must be free from fear, from friction, from torments, and from hunger. And the idea is, you can tie it all up, they must be content. Why would we be content? Well, if the Lord is my shepherd, he has dealt with my sins. And if he has said he will never leave me nor forsake me, I should find contentment in this life. If all of my needs are going to be provided for, uh, be supplied for me according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, if I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and he adds all of my needs to me, Shouldn't we find a contentment about it? What is it that causes us to rage? What is it that causes us to go on edge when we think we're not going to be provided for or when we think we ourselves have to maintain what we have or achieve what we desire because we understand what our limitations are, but we understand that he has no limitations and he's going to provide for what he believes is necessary. It's then that we're able to come into a contentment. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Green pastures are ideal for sheep. They offer the best grazing. A friend of mine here at church, he used to come to church here. They've pretty much moved on. Dave Boley, he uh, asked me to go hiking with him once. And I had no idea what the hiking was that he was talking about. We hiked up to Mount San Jacinto, which was 7,000 feet of rise, and it took us, I believe it was like about six hours to get up there and six hours to hike back. I thought he was going to kill me, but it was the coolest thing. You, you, we pulled off into this parking lot area, and we get out. We went up these switchbacks right away. And we went over this, this 
this uh, ridge, and we came on the other side. It was in May. This was like in 2007, something like that. And it was just absolutely green back there. It was just lush. There were these little streamlets that were flowing across the trails and whatnot. It had rained a lot that year, and it was just so tranquil. And it was just, it was just, just one of the neatest things. Well, as far as sheep, these green pastures, that's what the shepherd is looking for because this is the ideal thing for sheep. It offers the best in sheep comfort, not just to lay, but for feeding and for their health, for their grazing as well. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the best place, sheep recognize the shepherd. Remember, they hear his voice and they follow him. They realize that this is their provider, and they realize that the shepherd is their protector. And so they'll lay down when they have no fear. Well, if your protector is right there, you're going to find contentment, and you'll be able to find rest because you understand and know that he is on the job. We as born-again believers, if Jesus is truly with us, if he truly will not leave us nor forsake us, what is it that we fear? Ought we not to be content in this life? why Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and that sound mind. The sound mind is an educated mind in the word of God that understands God and understands the care of God. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Still waters speak of peace and tranquility as well. It's nice to be around a babbling brook, but it's also nice just a little pond or just a lake and just see the serenity of that. When my wife and I went on our honeymoon, we went to Hawaii, but we couldn't wait that long, so we got off at Catalina Island. So we spent a week at Catalina. We didn't go to Hawaii. Um, but it was cool. I remember we were at, was, I don't think it's in operation anymore, but it's called the Zane, Grain, uh, Zane Gray Hotel. There was the Catalina at the bay right there, and the Zane Gray was up on a hill. It overlooked the whole city, but really it also overlooked the channel in between uh, Catalina and, and, and L.A. And, and it was just, I just remember looking at the still ocean waters. They were just flat. I, I, the island probably provided protection from the currents and the winds and all of that. But I can remember sitting out there in the room. We had this big picture window or out on the patio that was just outside. And it was just something tranquil, just looking out across that ocean. And you can kind of see the currents, if you will, in the, in the water and whatnot. And you see a boat just kind of floating on it. When we went to Israel, we woke up the first time. We woke up the first morning. We opened up our window and there's a fish. Now, I think they did this for effect. But there was a fishing boat that was anchored maybe 100 yards off the shore. And again, the Sea of Galilee was just so calm. And it was out there. And we took a picture of that. I think we have it around here somewhere. And again, there's just some tranquility about that. And that's the idea here. He leads them beside still waters. Uh, Keller said that sheep are very skittish animals. And if there's a raging river or just a strong brook that's flowing, it's just too much for them, and they won't go, and they won't drink from that. They, they find pools of water because they're so, again, so skittish. And so these are the ideal conditions for sheep that the Lord has provided. Secondly, sheep, sheep received restored life. Verse 3, he restores my soul. Literally, this means that the good shepherd restores me to physical health. 
He watches over his sheep. Sheep are literally the ones who, when they fall down, they can't get up. You know, especially when their wool grows out. When they fall down, especially if they roll over on their back, they're lying there and they're very vulnerable. Because think what sheep are. I mean, everything kills and eats sheep. Every wild animal will feed off a sheep. They're like dessert for wild animals. They have no defense for themselves. They're not fast. Um, they're just so vulnerable as they are out there. And the idea is, is that the sheep is constantly restoring them, taking care of them, and bringing them back to health. How often have you felt like a helpless sheep in a spiritual sense and realized that God was there and God was for you? These are the ones whom the good shepherd restores probably the perfect example we're not going to turn there was the apostle peter in john chapter 21 remember peter had gone back to fishing he went back to his old life and christ christ could have said hey peter what happened i thought you were going to die for me he he could have said i have no use if you forsake me i will forsake you but he didn't he met him in a very personal way and the purpose was to restore peter back to usage by the lord Thirdly, sheep receive guidance. Again, verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. If left to themselves, sheep will take the easiest path, although it may be the most dangerous path. The Lord is there, and that's what his word is about, is to lead us in the right path. Jesus used that example in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. It says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. We were all on that wide path because it was the easiest way to go, according to human intellect. But it was Christ who entered in and showed us the proper way. Isaiah 53, verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Fourthly, the sheep receive comfort in times of trouble. Verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A picture of life as sheep travels from the lowlands in the wintertime through the canyons or the valley of the shadow of death to the highlands in summer. It's during that time animals, the predators, become aware of this time and they realize that the sheep will go through canyons. Problem with canyons, they're good ambush points. And so the shepherd is well aware. He's protecting his sheep as they go through that area. And he's got two tools to do that. The first tool that he has for that is his rod. His rod is literally a weapon. It's a long piece of wood. It's heavier at the bottom. And a sheep, let's just say that wolves come to attack a sheep, a lion or a bear, that thing is handy. You can throw it out and hit something with it. And sheep or shepherds would become very handy with that. And that's how they would ward off wild animals. A staff. A staff, the idea behind that is just simply protection and really from themselves more than anything else. More of an instrument of comfort. You know what a shepherd's staff is. It's the thing with the half circle. And they'll use that to get underneath the belly of a sheep and to lift them up out of a hard place or if they get it around their neck to keep them from going in a place that is dangerous. 
as far as the rod, rod, God's weapon, it would be God's word. God's word that protects us. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. As far as staff and protecting, it'd be the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all things that I said to you. And so just as a shepherd was a protector of our sheep, Christ protects us as well. Fifthly, the sheep receive abundant care. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. You prepare a table or a mesa, the idea is before me, and the idea is the table that he prepares is the provision that he has for the sheep. And he does so in the presence of the enemy. So these sheep, think of the magnitude of contentment they have. In the midst of these enemies, in the midst of these predators, it's okay. Because why? The Lord is my shepherd. King David, in the midst of the surrounding nations, that's okay, a comfort, because the Lord is my shepherd. Think of it even this way. King David in his flesh, that was really David's greatest enemy was himself, but still the Lord is his shepherd. Us, surrounded by our enemies or those who are contrary to Christ and contrary to us, the Lord is still our shepherd. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Flies will come in and and there's certain insects that will lay eggs in their nose or in their ears. It can be very irritating and even cause death in the sheep. They would anoint it with oil and it would keep these uh, insects away. My cup runs over. You have provided for me, Lord, abundantly. Probably the best example, once again, in the New Testament would be the Apostle Peter in Luke twenty-two thirty-one through 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned, strengthen your brethren. Simon, you're going to go through a hard time. You're going to go through a difficult day, but I'm there for you. I will restore your soul. Matter of fact, even more than that, I prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemies. You anoint, I anointed your head with oil, and Peter, your cup is going to overflow. And then sixthly, <clears throat> the sheep receive a heavenly dwelling place. Verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The idea here is, is the Christian pilgrimage followed by the Christian goal. The Christian life followed by the end that we have in Jesus Christ, who again has gone to prepare a place for me. So again, take the beginning of the psalm. This time take the very end. The Lord is my shepherd, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Everything else in the middle is the minor details of life that the Lord takes care of us, how the Lord takes care of us, until that time that we go to be with him. Colossians 1, 13 through 14, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. There was Jesus upon the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we saw of all of those details, but he overcame upon the cross. 
He died, but he came back to life. He was resurrected. And because he was resurrected, we know that our Redeemer lives. And because we know our Redeemer lives, we see his heart in the scripture. Not only is he our Redeemer, but he's our good shepherd as well. Our good shepherd has given his life, but now he gives us his attention. He gives us attention in every moment of our lives that he would watch over us, he would protect us, and he would keep us until the day he brings us unto himself. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, for your word, and we see, God, the magnitude of this great love with which you have for your people and how you continue to keep, keep track of us and care for us every day of our lives. And so, Father, I pray that we would take these things unto our hearts, that we would grasp onto these things. Psalm 23, we see it written all over the place. We hear it a lot. But I pray, Father, that we would embrace it and that, God, we would hold on to it. And so, Father, as your word is just your message, your love message to our souls, I pray, God, that we would forever be before it, that, Lord, again, we would hold on to it and realize the magnitude of what you have done, but the magnitude, Lord, of what you do every single day. Father, I lift up those who've come out tonight. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would go before them. And I pray, Father, that we would realize the care that our God gives to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please?